offered you a silver bullet. You know, that miraculous fix. Something that cuts straight through the, the chaos, the confusion, the complexity of a situation and guarantees you the desired results. You might not have called it a, a silver bullet. You might have thought of it perhaps in the past as waving a magic wand. Um, but both of those concepts work equally well. Somebody offering you one thing which is supposed to be the solution to a problem that is otherwise beyond you. The convention of calling such a solution a silver bullet comes from folk stories about werewolves. The silver bullet, legend would have it, is the only way, the, the one thing that will deal with these monsters. Confronted conversely by a vampire, for example, and you've got a whole host of ways that you can deal with that nasty ghoul. Stake through the heart, perhaps. A little bit of garlic, holy water, even plain old simple daylight. These are enough to defeat your foe, but with a werewolf, only one thing will do, and that is the silver bullet. And lots of things are presented to us these days as silver bullets. One shampoo that will stave off baldness forever. One diet plan that will keep you slim and healthy for the rest of your life. One smart TV to help make sure that you've got access to all the shows that you want to watch, but none of the cables, none of the clutter, none of the set-top boxes. You can probably guess what I've been searching for online. Even in the world of pandemic, there's the silver bullet, isn't there? The, the one simple face mask that will keep you and your loved ones safe. Silver bullets are everywhere. And just by way of illustrating this, I decided to do a search for the phrase, the last blank you'll ever need. The last blank that you'll ever need. And one of the things that came up on Google was this, the last ice cream recipe you'll ever need. Well, I didn't particularly know that I needed a silver bullet in my ice cream making arsenal, but now with this BBC Good Food Guide recipe, I have one. But here's the deal. Here's the honest truth about silver bullets. Just like the mythical one that deals with werewolves, the things that are presented us day by day in our modern lives, the solution to all of our problems, they're just a thing of fantasy. They promise so much more than they could ever deliver. They always leave us disappointed or dissatisfied or displeased because they never, ever, ever live up to the hype. Silver bullets don't really work. Silver bullets are an absolute fairy tale. Which is a pretty odd way for me to introduce you to Psalm 131. A psalm which offers us a silver bullet to fulfilment, to satisfaction, to peace, to joy. A silver bullet which has been tried and tested for millennia. 
So let's take a moment together then and consider the offer of Psalm 131, the silver bullet to a life of contentment. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quietened myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. We've spent a good number of weeks in the Psalms now, and we found them a source of inspiration, instruction and encouragement, in the same way that generations of Christians have for centuries upon centuries. And one of the reasons they are so appealing and useful to us is because in their poetic nature, they are able to fit in them twice as much information in half the space. And that couldn't be truer than for a psalm like Psalm 131. It's only three short verses, but even in that short time, it teaches us so much. It promises us so much. We shouldn't be fooled by the length. There is a lot being said. And the three verses in total and broadly speaking, they seem to be focusing on different things. In verse one, for example, we have the psalmist making bold claims about what they are not. My heart isn't proud. My eyes aren't proud either. I don't spend my life chasing after things which are ultimately beyond me, things that are out of my grasp. In the first verse, we find a rejection of pride and self-reliance, a rejection of self-promotion and self-rule. And then in verse two, there's a switch that takes place. Now, the psalmist is telling us about what they do have. I have calmed myself. I have quieted my own soul. I have slowed down almost to a stop, and the result is that I am like a child, a baby that has just been fed. I'm like that sleepy, milk-drunk baby in its mother's arms. I am totally and utterly content. In the second verse, we find a very deliberate and intentional composure being displayed. And then in verse 3, the psalmist turns from himself and points to us with a word of instruction. Put your hope, wait, trust in the Lord. Put your trust in Yahweh, now and always. In the third verse, we have an instruction, uh, a command to reorder our lives. Psalm 131, apparently, in those three ways, is the silver bullet to contentment. I wonder if you can already see though how those three sections, how those three ideas are linked because they are linked and how though only half the story is stated through implication we're being told an awful lot more. 
It's not stated as such, but surely we're supposed to understand that if we follow the advice of verse 3, we put our hope in the Lord now and forevermore, then the experience described in verse 2 will be ours. Contentment. It's not stated, but it is implied. Surely we're supposed to understand that if we think too highly of ourselves, if we put our hope in things other than God, then it won't lead to that sort of contentment. Presumably it will lead to the exact opposite, discontent, worry, strife. If my heart is proud, the psalm asks us to consider, If I turn my eyes to things which elevate me alone, if I chase after in my own strength that which is, in truth, totally and utterly out of my reach, then I won't be like the recently fed child. I'll be like the child that is hungry and grumpy. I'll be agitated. I'll be in discomfort. I'll be miserable. Do you see how the psalm, short as it is, and without saying these things explicitly, implies to us that this is the way of life. Without saying everything, the psalm is able, in a way, to say it all. And at that centre, we have what's on offer. Contentment, peace, joy gladness, rest. On the sides of that gorgeous centre are like two slices of bread in a simple sandwich. A way to achieve that and a way not to achieve that. Let's start from the start again then. Verse 1. The picture of what not to be. Do you notice that in verse 1 there's a progression A progression of how pride plays itself out. First of all, it's hidden in the heart. Then it's in the eyes, sort of on display. But then it moves into our actions and the things that we do and the the life that we live. It's describing an outlook which is, in essence, if I can dream it, then I can achieve it. If I put my mind to it, then I can have whatever I want. Whatever I desire is within my grasp. Only life's experience shows us that though these sentiments are appealing to us, they're the sorts of things we want to hear, they actually do very little in helping us achieve those things. When we have those sorts of ideas about ourselves and and, and how we should pursue things in our lives, ultimately they are a very short route to frustration and disappointment. I want to be loved. So if I work hard enough, if I strive long enough, then I will make myself into such a person that no one could ever reject me. I want to be forgiven. If I work hard enough, then I will wipe the slate clean, debt cleared and cancelled. I want to be cared for, looked after. So if I work hard enough, If I press on through difficulties and struggles long enough, then I'll find someone who truly will look out for me. Or even better still, I will accumulate so much stuff that I don't need anybody else to be looking out for me. I want to be 
appealing. I want to be pleasing to someone else. So if I get my head down, if I press on, if I push forward, if I work enough on myself, then surely I'll be a source of joy to someone else. And the, the truth is, honestly, sometimes we work hard and we find a measure of these things. But not always, and certainly not for always. We can strive and strive to be lovely, but then find ourselves not to be someone's cup of tea. We can strive and strive to pay off our debts, but then find that the entire time we've still been making charges to the same account. We can strive and strive to, to find someone who will care for us, but the one who is supposed to care for us ends up taking their eyes off us for a moment and disaster strikes. We strive and strive to make ourselves beautiful and appealing and pleasing, only to find out that tastes change and what once brought joy now brings contempt. You see, it's all adding up ultimately to disappointment. It all adds up to an awful lot of work, an awful lot of effort and emotions and energy being spent, noise, blood, sweat and tears that leads only to strife, to misery, discomfort and agitation in ourselves like a hungry baby that doesn't know where the next feed is coming from. That's where pride, that's where self-reliance, that's where self-exaltation leads us away from contentment. But the psalmist does see another way. The psalmist sees placing our hope now and always in God, in Yahweh, in the God who comes and introduces himself to us, who reveals himself to us, who invites us to know him and to be known by him. The psalmist says that if we place our hope ultimately in Jesus, our trust ultimately in him and not ourselves or, or people around us, then contentment is achievable. It's funny, actually, if you explore the rest of the Psalms and look for this idea of putting our hope in God, the sorts of things it promises in return. Psalm 33, verse 22, this is what we read. We put our hope in you, our Lord, and your faithful love rests on us. Psalm 130, halfway through, says this. Put your hope in God and he will redeem you. He will rescue you from all your iniquities. Back again in Psalm 33, this time verse 18. Look, it says, the Lord watches over those who do what? Put their hope in him. Psalm 147, Snooker Play's favourite psalm. Verse 11, this is what it says. God is pleased with those who put their hope in him. When we hope in him, rather than ourselves, rather than each other, rather than the things that we can do or we can create or we can gather in, we get all these things that we thought that our hard work would achieve for us, but doesn't. Do you see how in such a short little psalm, such a powerful contrast is being made? The opposite of hoping in God and trusting in God is hoping in ourselves, is the pride of verse 1. The result of hoping in God is the contentment of verse 2. Trusting in yourself 
hoping in stuff leads to exhaustion. And we are an exhausted world at the moment. But trusting in God, chasing after him, even though it's a language of work and effort, it leads to rest guaranteed. The Apostle Paul, we've been looking at his letter to the Philippian church together on a Wednesday night. We haven't quite got this far, but right at the end, he says this, that he has found the secret of being content in any and every situation. And he calls it just that, a secret. Yet elsewhere in the same letter, he's let the cat out of the bag. He writes that everything that a proud, haughty him might value, everything that he might strive after and struggle and strain to hold on to, he says he has realised that in comparison to Jesus, those things are garbage. He writes this, I count everything as loss compared to the worth of knowing Christ. I found the secret to contentment, and that is trusting in God alone. There's our silver bullet. Swap it all. Everything that you think you need in a heartbeat for this one thing. The one true God. Jesus. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame, but in the blood of Christ that flows at the cross. I rejoice in Bye.
God is the one who produces contentment. He's the source. He's the fountain from which it flows. If we are the content baby, he is the nursing mother who has provided. But we are the ones who should pursue that contentment. There's a call to action for us as well. God is the one who produces it, but we are the ones who should pursue it. Now, I've focused our time, our energy, our efforts so far this morning on God, on the focus of the contentment, the the one from which it comes. But in verse two, when the pivot is made, it's important to note that there is action being described. There is intentional, there is deliberate work on the part of the psalmist. Verse two, but I have calmed, I have quietened myself. It's no accident that the psalmist has stumbled across the sort of peace that he describes, the sort of rest that otherwise would elude us. He's been extremely deliberate. He's acknowledged, he's recognised the fact that God is the one who produces, but he is the one who intentionally and purposefully needs to pursue it. So I want us to consider for a few moments now How can we pursue that contentment? How can we chase after placing our hope and our trust, not in ourselves, but in God? Not in the things that we can do, but in what Jesus has done already. Four steps. If you're taking notes, write them down. Step one is this. Identify what it is that you're already chasing. What is it that you pursue? Where do you spend your time, your energy, your affections? What is it that makes you tired, fatigued, miserable through lack of results? What are you already chasing? If we're gonna stop, if we're gonna quieten ourselves, if we're gonna purposefully pursue God and contentment in him, we have to recognise all the other places we've already been distracted and chasing those things. Step one is a little bit of self-reflection 
where we identify the things that we are already chasing. Step two then is this, and it's a pretty obvious step. Stop. Stop chasing. Stop running. Stop wearing yourself out. That is a very countercultural message. In a world that calls us to action all the time, time and time again, a world that even places value on how busy and how active we are, to follow the psalmist's advice and to stop, to calm, to quieten, to rest. That's, that's a massive thing to do. Having identified what it is that we're already chasing, step two is this, is to stop chasing those things. Not to worry about what we might miss out when we stop chasing those because we've recognized that those things do not deliver in any case. Step three is this, turn around. Turn around and see that what it is that you've been searching for the whole time is right there in front of you. In Jesus, we have the answers that have escaped us the rest of the time. We've been chasing in all the wrong directions. We need to stop and we turn to Jesus and find that we were closer to the finish line than we ever imagined. Step four is this, stay. Stay with Jesus. Don't be tempted back out there into the rat race. Don't be tempted to put your hope instead of him back into yourself. Stop working, stop striving to be valued, to be loved, to be forgiven, to be lovely, to be whatever. Stop and stay and recognize that with Jesus you are all those things and more. Part of staying is to learn the triggers, the things that make you uh, want to go running off in the other direction. Part of staying is learning the, the, the signs that old habits have crept back in and you haven't stayed with Jesus, but you've gone off there chasing this, chasing that, pursuing this, pursuing that. Part of staying is keeping a short account of the things that you know that you're tempted to take responsibility for, that you should be laying at Jesus' feet. Make sure that you keep laying them at Jesus' feet. You see, God is the source of contentment, but we are told to chase after it in him. He produces it, but we are to pursue it. We need to identify where else we're running. We need to stop chasing after those things. We need to turn around and see them instead in Jesus. And we need to stay there. The silver bullet to contentment is this. Do not be proud. Don't hope in yourself. Don't trust in yourself. Instead, trust in God. Place your hope, not in you, but in Jesus. And that is a silver bullet that will not let you down. Amen.